Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Healthy Christian Project. Today is an exciting episode. I'm joined by Rachel King and Amanda Caldor, who both together own this coaching company for Christian women called A Body of Grace. So it's a pleasure to have you both on here today. Thank you for joining. Thanks, Amy, yeah. for having us. We're excited about this. Of course. Okay. I'm a little bit curious. Where does the name A Body of Grace come from? Rachel, you want to take that? <laughs> we went back and forth on this. We had lots of things spinning through our head about what we wanted to name this. And we just kept coming back to grace. Like grace has always been something that's been so important in our coaching style, in our programs, and how we talk to clients in our own weight loss journey. Grace upon grace upon grace. And so we're always talking to our clients about our bodies, listening to our bodies, loving our bodies. And so it just made sense for us to title it a body of grace. And when we talk about a body of grace, it really encompasses what we're about, a body of grace, a body of believers, having grace with yourself, having grace with your mindset, with your food, all of it. So it was just the perfect name. So have you found that a lot of the the people you're coaching kind of come into it with a lack of grace for themselves? 100%. For sure. They're super hard on themselves. Um, I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist. That tends to be who we attract. People that they know that they want to do better, but they think they have to do it perfectly to actually do better. So... One of the lessons I'm guessing that you teach is imperfect action, right? Yes. So what does that look like? Go ahead, Go ahead. Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> We're both starting at the same time here. I think imperfect action looks like starting before you're ready. That's one. Two, doing something. Okay, we think we have to do it all, usually. Like if I am going to start losing weight, I have to count my calories. I have to drink more water. I have to exercise for an hour. And that's just not something that Rachel and I believe in. I think what ends up happening is women get overwhelmed and then they quit. And that's the worst thing we can do. Yeah. Um, so imperfect action means doing something, something that's like 1% better than was yesterday. And realizing too, that there's never going to be the perfect time. Like Amanda said, we have people come and think they have to do it perfectly. And we, you know, always hear, well, I'll start on Monday or I'll start after the next holiday or I'll start at the beginning of the year. And they always want to push it. And just realizing that taking that imperfect action and being that, you know, 1% better means starting now because there's yeah. never going to be a perfect time. Yeah, so kind of skipping yourself. the procrastination aspect of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I guess as perfectionists, because I can relate to that too. There is a very heavy um, that that fear of failure, right? Mm -hmm. And so you procrastinate starting because you're scared of failure. Mm -hmm. So how can we move away from the fear? Like, is failure a bad thing? <laughs> oh, this is my favorite thing to coach on. Because we get this all the time. I mean, I hear women come to me all the time. I've I've failed at all these diets. Okay. Have you like truly failed? And what does that even mean? And 
what ends up happening is when they start telling themselves that, then they start identifying themselves like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm a failure, which is not true. God did not. That is not the identity God gave you. But what I like to remind them is failing is only if we quit. And so what we tell women that come into our program is you're just done quitting now. That's the only way you can fail. Um, You will miss 100% of the swings you don't take. And so as long as you keep taking swings, at some point, like there's no, God gave you this body. He has given you a way to take care of it. There's no reason God won't help you take care of it well if you just keep moving forward. And with every failure, we get to learn. It's just a learning opportunity for us to learn, grow, and especially grow our faith. So failure itself is not, I am a failure. It just means there's something to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. That actually, it reminds me of a a quote. I I don't know if you guys have read the book, Psycho-Cybernetics or not, but Mm -hmm. um, in that book, the, the author is talking about how, you know, we are created by God and God being perfect can never create something that is inferior the same way that a master painter does not create something that is a failure or or an inferior painting and so he created us exactly how he wanted to create us so we're not failures when we kind of project that image onto ourselves and identify ourselves as failures we're actually not living up to the identity that God has called us to so would you find that a lot of the people coming into your program are specifically seeing themselves as failures when they just, for some reason, whether it's a diet or they failed something in the past, how, how do you move away from that? Yeah, that's a great great question. And it, it, it comes back to grace, right? A lot of times there's this, like Amanda says this so well about living in the gray zone. Cause a lot of times we see things black and white, but it's living in the gray zone mm-hmm. because people get grace and justification mixed up, right? They like try to justify things. Well, this is why it's not working. And this is why I was a failure. And this is why I'm never going to be successful instead of giving themselves grace and taking a step back and asking themselves really good questions about why did this happen? How can I improve? So it's just a different way of looking at it and a mindset shift through the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. This is a question I'm, I'm curious because, you know, we, we all coach Christians uh, and as Christians, we have a little bit of a different approach to how we look at food, to how we look at our bodies and things like that. So, what are some of the, I guess you could say, lies that we have been indoctrinated to believe that do not, you know, align with Christian values, especially when it comes to food and stuff like that? That's good. Amanda, do you want to tackle this one? <laughs> what are the lies? So many. Um, <laughs> so I, the first thing that popped into my head was this lie that women often hear of just one more bite won't hurt. Okay. Like how many times have we told ourselves that, or just this one little piece won't hurt. And here's the deal. The enemy loves to speak to us in like half truths. So there is some truth to that. One won't hurt. 
But the deception in that is that we don't know how to stop at one right now. Like you, you are struggling to stop at one. So taking that one does hurt. Sometimes, like I, I tell people, yes, Jesus called us to live in moderation. And there is a lot of, nothing is off limits. But like it also says, nothing, there, there are some things that aren't good for us, that aren't going to support us. And if you know that there are certain foods that aren't helping you, that are triggers for you, that take you down a path that you don't want to be on, then we are told to abstain from those, to walk away from those. Right. So I would say that is a little bit of a, a different approach um, that I hear quite often of like everything in moderation. You could have everything in moderation. Well, yeah, we can. But is it really good for us? Mm-hmm. And for that individual, like that's an individual case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Something else that I think that, you know, Amanda and I have talked about a lot with our clients specifically is church functions and how there's so much food at those things that don't actually support a healthy lifestyle. And we'll, this is getting kind of bold here, but like, we'll even pray over the food and say, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies when there's nothing nourishing that we're about to partake. You, you know? got donuts, you got cookies, you got <laughs> <Yes>. pizza. <laughs> right. And so that even kind of crosses like we're t- dealing with other Christians, but it's just something that needs to be talked about more because we kind of have this dissociation with the food aspect of it. Like we'll talk about all the other things in the Bible, but we don't want to talk about this piece. Yeah. I've actually been finding a lot of that too. I'm getting a lot of clients coming to me and saying, you know, I, I'm able to submit everything to God in my life, but when it comes to weight loss, when it comes to diet, when it comes to food, I don't know why I've always taken it into my own hands. Mm -hmm. So why is that? Well, how can we, we choose to take this one part of our lives into our own hands? I think well, there's like a lot to, of shame goes around yeah. it. Go ahead, Amanda. I like to know <laughs> that why um, is we think that we got ourselves in this mess, so we have to get ourselves out. That's that's the resounding theme that we hear from our clients. I got myself yep. into this mess. I have to get myself out. But we forget. We get ourselves into lots of messes, and Jesus has got us out. So right. this isn't any different. Um and I agree with Rachel. Rachel, why don't you talk a little bit about the shame? Yeah, there's a lot of shame around it. And also, especially with the women that we coach, they've gone through or they've attempted to go through diet after diet after diet. And they don't want to admit that they're trying to do it again because they have, quote unquote, failed at all these other diets. And so they're afraid that they'll fail at this too. And there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt that goes into that. And they, it's easier just to not really try because then they're not failing again. So they kind of just give up. Mm-hmm. And then that has its own consequences as well. Yeah. So in their minds, is it worse to give up or is it worse to try and to fail? I think it's worse to try and to fail because they don't want to fail again. 
They're so you know, worried I, about what other people are going to think about them or say about them mm-hmm. if they fail. That's so like, do you think it's stemming from mm-hmm. like a place of pleasing others? Oh, yeah. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. So is it, it's not really about how I feel, but it's about what others perceive me. Yes. We get so much, like a lot of our coaching, especially around holidays, birthdays, things like that comes from what are people going to think when I don't eat this, or I don't want to offend somebody by not eating this, or somebody made this specifically for me. I can't turn this down. And so a lot of it comes from the people pleasing. They don't really want it because they do want to succeed, but they also, that people pleasing overtakes that want to succeed and people pleasing wins out. Mm -hmm. I was actually talking to my wife about this uh, because she recognizes herself as a people pleaser. And then she told me a quote not that long ago and she, I don't know where she got it from, but she said, once you learn to fear God, then you will want to please him above any pleasing man, above any anybody else. The Kind of the antidote to pleasing people is fearing and pleasing God instead. And you wouldn't go against what you're standing up to. In this case, like wanting to succeed when it comes to your diet. Once you understand that you'd rather please God than please man. Mm-hmm. That's good. I have, I have a question. Um, in your the body of grace on the Facebook page, it said, you know, helping you guys achieve success, success without any extremes. So what would you categorize as an extreme? How do we know if we're on those extremes? I think most diets out there are extreme because they limit you to cutting out food groups, cutting Mm -hmm. out, you know, eating way below on the calorie range, like my toddler eats more calories than most of these diets allow, you know, um, they restrict you to, you know, you have to eat so many times a day or, you know, this plan, or you have to do this many workouts or something like that. And what we do is we really want you to master learning your body and listening to your body because weight loss is going to look different for you. It's going to look different for Amanda. It's going to look different for me. We all do it differently and that's okay. And we really try to coach our clients through really tuning in to God, really getting that piece in line, really following his lead on the way to do it. And then we kind of get into the specifics, but you've got to master the basics before you can master anything else. And if you try to start off, like Amanda said in the beginning, if you try to start off with all the things, you're going to overwhelm yourself and you're going to quit. It, it's very overwhelming. I had, um, I have, a, I had a few clients who came in and I also take the same approach with the 1% better each day. Uh, we're not going to throw in a meal plan that you can't possibly follow. We're not going to track your calories. We're not going to do all that stuff. Just let's focus small, achievable things that you can actually do. And that way we build, they compound on top mm-hmm. of each other. But I had this one guy come in and tell me, that seems too easy. I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. And he was like, that, that just seems too easy. 
too easy. It doesn't seem like it could work for me. You know, I've been counting my calories my entire life. I've been doing this my entire life and it hasn't worked. How is this going to work? So do you get a lot of that backlash too? A lot. Women are just so, I mean, anybody in general that's done a diet, they're just so used to having this overload and feeling like they have to do it all at once. Um, Again, one of those lies I think we've just been indoctrinated to. Um, And it's helping them see how in other areas of their life, they, they had to, you know, learn to crawl before they can walk. And it's those baby steps we take that actually get us farther faster than doing overwhelming amounts of stuff, quitting, stopping for a while, and then starting over again. I think too, when you give extreme plans, like people love that because then they can blame the plan. It doesn't work. That's true. It's true. I tried this. It didn't work for me. But when you kind of toss it back to them and really get them in tune with their body and listen to their body, then they have to take more responsibility. I think at the end of the day, it's kind of that idea of building up a a firm foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you brought it back to learning to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. No one ever just started running. Uh, you got to build the foundation. And then from that foundation, then you can start building the house and then you can start adding layers on top of it before you you know, com- complicate things. You got to simplify them. No? Yep. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. It actually reminded me too of a Bible verse. Um, I think it's in Ecclesiastes. Maybe it's in Proverbs, but, uh, and I hope I'm not taking it out of context, but it said, whoever fears God avoids all extremes. Um, it was talking about not being overrighteous, but also not being over foolish. And mm-hmm. I think that that verse has resonated with me whoever fears God avoids all extremes. So question, how do we know if there are some warning signs in our diet, our nutrition, whatever it is that we're on something pretty extreme? Amanda, you take this one. You explain this really well. I don't know about that. I would say there's a couple of things. One, if you absolutely dread it, uh, Mm. you're going to too much extreme. If, we, get, we need to be pulled for by love, not pushed by fear, um, because being pulled by love helps us then keep being pulled, keep going, keep progressing. OK, and so if you're being like pushed and dreading and just like feeling like you're forcing yourself to do something, it's probably extreme. Um, yeah, if you're cutting out like major food groups, it's extreme. If. Your body, like if you are so tired at eight o'clock at night that you can't keep yourself awake because you've worked out for two hours during the day, <laughs> or you even just worked out a half an hour, but you have an active job and now you can't spend time with your family, that's extreme. Like we have to just stop and listen. And I think that's a really, really hard thing for a lot of us to do is to stop, to listen and to really hear God and where he's leading us next. That's so interesting. Um, you know, what was it in, uh, was it Elijah who, when God was showing himself, he, like there was like a thunderstorm, there was lots of wind and, and all that. And yet 
Elijah heard God's voice in a whisper. It mm-hmm. was in the silence that he really actually heard God's voice. And so how come it's so hard for us to slow down and to stop and actually listen, whether it's to God, whether it's even to our bodies and not understanding the warning signs that you're doing something wrong, you're going to get burnt out if you keep going like this. Why is it so hard to stop? I think it's uncomfortable for us to stop because we we coached on this Monday night inside of our group, just sitting and being still, put your phone away, turn the TV off and just sit and be still and listen. A lot of times we like to talk to God, which is great. We should 100%, but we don't take the time to listen. And if you will be still and you will sit and just let him speak to you, you will hear so much. And a lot of times that's uncomfortable because I think subconsciously we may not want to hear what he has to say because he may be stretching us to go be uncomfortable, to go do something out of our comfort zone. So that's where I think it gets really hard. Well, and I think we have an inner voice, an inner critic, and it's mean. And when we're quiet, we hear it. Mm-hmm. That is uncomfortable. And learning how to capture that thinking and bring that to Christ is hard. It's easier mm-hmm. to drown it out with busyness and noise. Yeah. That's true. I actually, I also coached about this Monday night, which is really interesting um, about discomfort and learning to kind of embrace the discomfort because that's where growth happens physically too. You know, mm-hmm. when you exercise, you have to get uncomfortable in order for your body to adapt. But also, when it comes to our our spiritual life, how the entire faith is almost getting out of your comfort zone. Repentance is hard. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, taking up your cross is not something that's comfortable. It's very uncomfortable to do that. Mm-hmm, right. My faith in general is uncomfortable. Like letting go of control and putting your trust in someone else. Mm-hmm. Something you can't see. Yeah. 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 So how would you kind of advise someone or help someone embrace that discomfort? What would be the first place to start? I would say, first of all, um, I think this world has really pushed upon us that discomfort is bad. So we have to start changing that narrative in our brain that discomfort is a good thing. And just like being okay with ourselves that we are uncomfortable. <laughs> like I so funny little story. I had an orthodontist appointment for my kids. I thought yesterday I got to the orthodontist and guess what? It wasn't. It was today. <laughs> <laughs> and as we left, my daughter goes, that was so embarrassing, mom. Now I'm almost 40 and I go, I'm not embarrassed at all. I bet every other parent in that waiting room has done this at some point in their life. But it's taken me 40 some years to be, to embrace that discomfort. I'm not embarrassed by this anymore. This was uncomfortable. Yeah, I got to go back and own my, where I screwed up, but it's okay. We all do it. It's like embracing our humanness. Like this, mm-hmm. this world isn't meant to be comfortable for us. We, we don't want it to be comfortable for us because then why, why, why would there be a pull for heaven? Yeah. 
that's interesting. I, I have a funny story too. The other day, I recently, like I've been getting into biking and stuff. And recently I transitioned from normal pedals into something called clipless pedals. So you have to kind of clip in your feet. And uh, I forgot to unclip when I came to a stop. And slowly, slowly, I just kind of fell over. I'm like, how do I get up? And everyone just looking at me. I was embarrassed. But that is how you learn. Right. Mm-hmm. It was in my failure, bringing it back to that, that I was actually able to learn to not do that again. Yeah. yeah. So have you noticed that um, we all kind of tend to focus on our failures more than we focus on our successes? Mm-hmm. So how can we sh- shift the perspective from focusing on the fail? Because when we're always focused on the failure, it's like our brain subconsciously makes that failure the new goal that we're going to work towards. And so we tend to fail more often. Whereas when we focus on the success, that becomes the goal. So how can we focus on the success a little bit more? We make our clients start off the calls with wins. Mm-hmm. Like what's something good that happened this week? Because we know there was at least one good thing. And sometimes they have a hard time thinking of it. But once they think of that one good thing, then they think of other things. And so really make them see just how far they've come so they can focus on that instead of the failures. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's really it's good. like measuring little bits of progress. We have, um, mm-hmm. we not only do like physical measurements, but like mental measurements. Like, how are you thinking about food differently? What has changed? We're changing every day. If we can redirect our brains to see that change, to see where God's working, because God's always working too. It that's a practice. Like it's something we have to consciously put energy towards to get better at. But when you do, when you celebrate the progress, you make more of it. Um, I have this fun little quote: like, it's not that unsuccessful people don't make progress; it's just that they didn't recognize the progress they were making. Can you repeat that? I'm just letting it sink in. Yeah. It's not that unsuccessful people didn't make progress. They just didn't recognize the progress they were making. Because if you Mm -hmm. take that, if you're not recognizing the progress, you're not going to grow and build on that progress. So we have to recognize our progress to then be successful. Right. You know, I think that actually might stem from a place of social comparison. And us comparing ourselves either to our past selves and what we've done before or to someone else who's in a completely different boat, living a completely different life, uniquely different in every single way. But we compare our failures with their successes and our small, small progressions with their enormous leaps because that's all we get to see from them. Mm -hmm. So how can we, you know, put a boundary on comparison. I was listening to a podcast this morning and I was pulling up the quote because I I wrote it down because it was so good. It said, God isn't going to hold you accountable to what he gave someone else. He will Mm -hmm. call you accountable to what he gave you. And so you aren't responsible for what they did over here. Your circumstances are not the same as somebody else's. Your life is not the same as somebody else's. God gave them that life. He gave you this one. 
And so you just have to put blinders on and look at what God gave you and what's going on in your life and how he's speaking to you and really pray through those. Um, I think a lot of times we, I mean, I know Amanda and I deal with women specifically, but a lot of the women have shame around boundaries because they think they should be going and doing and, you know, there for everybody and never take care of themselves. And we all know you can't go serve. You can't go help other people until you help yourself. Because if you're serving from a place of empty, that's what's going to ultimately spill over is the empty and not the full. Um, so I think, you know, looking at it that way. And then also just going back to that quote, like being obedient to what God's calling you to do in your life and in your circumstances. You ever feel like God is calling you to do something and you don't want to be obedient to it? Cause I was, I was reading Jonah and I guess that's the entire book of Jonah, right? Where he's God calling Jonah to Nineveh and to preach there. And Jonah's like, I don't want to. And so he ran away, <laughs> right? So how come we think that whatever we can achieve with our lives, the plans that we have are actually, we think that they're superior to God's plan. And so we're disobedient to that. I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but that's just kind of where that thought of being obedient to what God has called us to brought me. Why do we do that? I think we think obedience is a bad thing. Yeah. Again, we, um, especially like Christian women, I feel like after this this whole women's movement, um, it's almost like if we are submissive, or obedient to something, then that means we're just uh, like a, a pile on, like <laughs> we're, we're just taking on all the junk. That's not what it, that's not what God is asking you to do when he's asking you to be obedient. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we just have to change the narrative about some of these words and remind us, remind ourselves, what did God truly mean by using this word in his word? Um right. <laughs> That's where I like to go back to. Mm-hmm. I mean, specifically that word submission is gets a lot of hate nowadays. Mm-hmm. But when you think of the context of that word, it also talks about how Jesus submitted to the Father's will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How How come we think that when we are to submit, it's something bad, but when Jesus is to submit, that's okay? Yeah. Right? That's the enemy twisting things. He's taking good things and twisting it and telling us these half truths, these deceptions. And this is where, like, mm-hmm. we tell our clients, it's really important to take our thoughts captive, bring them to Christ, mm-hmm. bring them to God's word, and let's get some real truth because there's a lot of lies and misconceptions out there. How how can we take our thoughts captive? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I think like it's a really good question. I think, and Amanda's got a lot to say about this. She's so good at this, but I will say this one thought that there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction comes from the Lord. Condemnation comes from the enemy. And so discerning between those is super important in taking our thoughts captive. Yeah. I, I tell women the best way to take your thoughts captive, well, two, two ways. 
journal. We have to get these things out of our brain because they just spin otherwise. So journaling, or if you have someone to listen to you, to coach you, to help you, like point out these little phrases that you're using that you've just taken as truth. Like you're telling the news here. (laughs) And someone to point those out and be like in question them, right? Like, is it really true? Is there a different way to think about that? That's what I, I kind of like in coaching too. It's like having spinach in your teeth. You don't know it's there until someone points it out to you. And then you get to decide what you're going to do with that. Yeah, you can uh, take it out. You can swallow it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that, that's it so there interesting. You really want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But it's really interesting how you said, kind of ask yourself, is that true? And I guess one of the ways I kind of coach my clients to take thoughts captive is same same thing. In Philippians, Paul talks, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure. And whenever you, you have a thought that you feel, wait, 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 just take a sec back. Is, is that true? Yeah. Is that pure? Is that noble? And if it's not, why waste my time worrying about it and thinking about it, right? Yeah. yeah. Taking time I think to that, just that's... sit in it, like ponder it. Don't. We, that's the other like stumbling block I find a lot of my clients have is they don't believe they can change their thinking. But that is something mm. that we actually have control over. We only have control over three things in our lives, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. The rest of it is God's control. Let's get good and understanding and embracing and managing what we can control. Yeah. There's a, there's a little diagram I remember seeing and it was like, okay, circumstance happens. You can't control a circumstance, but from the circumstance flows thoughts from the thoughts flow actions, no feelings Feelings. from the feelings flow actions. And from the actions flow results, you can control your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. That's you it. can't control the circumstance, but kind of indirectly, if you have the right thoughts, feeling, and actions, you can kind of control the results sometimes. But again, you've got to put that into God's hands too. Yeah. You can influence. That's how I always like to put it. You influence, can influence. That's the word I was looking for. How do you want to influence that result? Mm-hmm. And then measure it up to the standard of God's word. Actually, one last thing. You said something earlier you asked you know how you how do your clients change the way they look at food so how should we be looking at food food is fuel for our bodies to fuel our bodies to go do god's service mm-hmm. bless up wow yeah we've we've overcomplicated food and it's not that you can't it, they, that they can't be part of celebrations, that they can't be part of fellowship. It's just, it, it's not there for our comfort. It's not there for our entertainment. It is there to bring people together and to use it as fuel for our bodies. So basically, it comes down to building relationships. I was talking to someone yesterday actually 
And I was so surprised. He told me uh, he was trying to lose about 10 pounds. And first question I asked him, I'm like, how much are you eating? And he's like, I'm eating about 1300 calories a day. And I'm like, pardon? And I'm like, he's, he's like, yeah, 13, about 1300 every day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how long have you been doing that for? And he told me about six months. Yeah. I'm like, and, and not only that, but he was training every single day. No. So I was like, do you ever think that perhaps you're not eating enough? And he was like, don't I need to eat less to lose weight? And I'm like, I mean, not in this circumstance. Your body is probably holding on to every calorie like it's the last one it's going to get. Exactly. It, it's that kind of approach. Your body is now approaching food from a scarcity mindset. Exactly. Instead of abundance. Mm-hmm. So I've I've seen this happen time and time again where we're overly restrictive in approaching food from I can't have this I shouldn't have this this is cut like you guys said cutting out food groups. So what's the right way? We've got to learn. It goes back to listening to our body, right? Mm-hmm. Like Amanda eats a different calorie bracket, different set of macros than I eat, right? We've had to figure that out by listening to our body and nobody needs to be eating 1300 calories. (laughs) Please eat more than that. Um, But sadly, that's what we see. Like we've been told 1200 calories is the magic number and it's fuel. You have to fuel your body. Your body needs fuel just to function, needs fuel to perform vital things like breathing and blinking and hair growth and things like that. Like those things take up calories. And then you're adding on workouts, you're adding on playing with your kids, you're adding on all these things day to day, you need more calories. Now let's not eat, you know, an excess of calories, but you've got to give it the right amount of fuel so it can perform optimally. Because if you restrict the fuel from it, it's also not going to perform how you want it to. Yeah. And we have a little saying, um, just eat food closer to God's hands than men's. More of that. Mm-hmm. If you use that as a rule of thumb, you're going to be better off. Yeah. I like to bring it back um, to one of the passages that Jesus spoke and kind of to recontextualize it. Back then, they were worried about food and how much they would get because they weren't getting enough food yeah kind of today we're worried about food and we think we think we're getting too much food and he Mm -hmm. said do not worry about food do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your clothes what you will put on you know my father he he feeds these sparrows how much more will he feed you and so imagine just approaching food from that kind of abundance mindset for anyone listening it's possible Oh yeah. You two are doing it and you two are mm-hmm. coaching others to do it. It's possible. We don't have to approach food as as the enemy. Right. And then when, you know, we find our comfort in food, we blame the food and and it, it's a terrible relationship we're cultivating. Yes, it is. Right. Well, and the enemy knows where he can get you too, and a lot of times it is with food. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the very first story that we read in the Bible. Like he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden with food. Like that temptation started a long time ago. And so he knows where we're weak. And a lot of us, we're weak in that area. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. There was another quote and it said, if the enemy can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. So mm-hmm. that, that also comes back to, if it's not food, it's busyness. And yeah. that's why you're so addicted to, you know, go, 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 go. And you can't slow down and really think about what your body needs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Amen. Yeah. So to anyone listening, what would you say, last thing, one step, small step that they can take today to kind of get themselves out of a funk that they're in right now? You got it, Rachel. (laughs) One small step to get you out of a funk. I think the very best thing that you can do just to get started. If you've been on this journey and you're feeling in, you know, failure, you're feeling in defeat, the one thing you can do is kind of what we talked about earlier. Just take a few minutes, journal how you really feel, get those thoughts out, like how you're truly feeling. And then like Amanda said earlier, then ask yourself, is this true? And then once you do that, once you really get that truth out, then ask yourself, what's one thing that I can do to help reach this goal? So list your goals, what you would like to see happen, and then what's one thing I can start today to reach this goal? And whether that is something small, like we talked about drinking more water or going for a walk or eating more vegetables, master that one thing. I mean, you're probably not going to do it perfectly, but make it a habit, do it consistently, and then move to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Baby step your way to greatness. Baby step your way to greatness. I like that. Can I quote you on that? Sure. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Well, Amanda, Rachel, I appreciate you and all your valuable faith-based insights. We don't, there's not a lot of us in the uh, kind of faith-based health community and so you being here you're doing god's work and and i'm super thankful to have you on here today we enjoyed it thank you so much yeah and thank you Eli, for doing exactly what you're doing too because we appreciate other fellow <laughs> i like to call warriors in on this path good yeah i mean ba- it is basically a war right now against mm-hmm. uh what culture tells us versus what god tells us right mm-hmm. yep And for those listening, join us next time on another episode of the Healthy Christian Project.